Let's welcome Linda as she comes to share her reflections to us and pray for her as she brings her thoughts on these these scriptures. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that in the Bible we're assured that your word never comes back empty. And so we pray for Linda as she speaks to us this morning, that you would anoint her lips and her words with your spirit, that they may speak richly into our hearts and minds, that we might learn from your wisdom this morning, um, and that we would be better resourced through Linda's reflections to serve you on our front lines this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. So over the past few weeks, we've been reflecting on how God is interested in all aspects of our lives, in the many and varied places in which we find ourselves throughout the week, what we've referred to as our front lines, whether these are at home or in the workplace, whether they're our leisure activities and social lives or our community groups and local neighbourhoods. We've been trying to think about what it looks like to live for Christ in all of these different contexts. Recognising that God's purpose is that all people should be blessed by the presence of Christians in their midst. We are to bless the city, we are to bless the nation. And that through our presence, it should be possible for the nature and character of God to be more clearly revealed as the fruit of his spirit, love, joy, peace, is made visible in our everyday lives. And in today's reading, the fourth of our series from Matthew 28, we see Jesus towards the end of his earthly life and ministry. It's shortly before he returns to be with his father. Jesus calls together his disciples, the 11 that are left, the closest to him. He calls them together for one final training session on a local hillside in Galilee, as had been their custom over the three years that they'd been together. Jesus and his companions have been on a remarkable journey throughout that three-year period. But the time is coming when Jesus will have to leave his disciples behind. They will be charged with continuing his mission and ministry, but without him being physically present in the way that they've been used to in the past. In one sense, then, Jesus' earthly ministry and mission is over. But in another sense, his eternal mission will continue through his disciples in ways that they have yet to understand. And of course, they won't really be alone. They will have the Holy Spirit, sometimes referred to as Jesus' presence in Jesus' absence the Holy Spirit, to be with them, inspiring and empowering them. But they don't know that at this point in time. Jesus' understanding of his mission has always been very clear to him. He was sent by God, his Father, into the world to do the will of his Father. It's a mission that has sustained and fulfilled him, just as food and drink sustains the body, But the most important thing about it is that it's God's mission, not Jesus' mission, not our mission, 
It's the Missio Dei, God's mission. And it's summed up in the prophetic words of Isaiah 61, words which Jesus applied to himself as he spoke in the synagogue three years ago at the very start of his ministry. The words that we heard in the Luke reading here last Sunday. God's mission is an initiative on the part of a loving father who sends his son into a broken world to save and restore it. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus' death and resurrection lies at the heart of that eternal rescue plan. But perhaps one of the most remarkable and challenging aspects of God's mission plan is that it was always designed to be a collaborative and cooperative initiative. Not just an initiative on the part of God in isolation, but a mission in which God recruits humankind to join with him. He invites us to become part of the solution rather than just remain the source of the problem. And Jesus' choosing of a body group of disciples at the start of his ministry reflects that sense of a collaborative and cooperative mission that is crucial to God's strategic initiative. For God's rescue plan could not have been fulfilled without the gathering of a group of ordinary men and women, people like you and me, to share in his mission and accomplish extraordinary things despite their feet of clay. Over his three years with him, with them, Jesus has built close and loving relationships with his disciples, modelling for them day by day, week by week, month by month, what it means to proclaim good news to a broken world, good news to the poor, liberty to prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, freedom from oppression of all sorts. So, in a sense, the disciples have been Jesus' apprentices. It's taken time to develop a relationship with them and for them to learn from their master. Someone once characterised the classic master-apprentice relationship in the following way. I do it and you watch. I do it and you help. You do it and I help. You do it and I watch. And so the apprentice moves under the tutelage of the master from observer to centre stage, utterly involved. And we can sort of imagine Jesus maybe at the outset of his relationship with his disciples saying to them, just watch. I'll do it. You just watch. Look at what I do. And then after a bit of time, he might say, right, I'm going to carry on doing it, but now I want you to help. I want you to start to be involved. Perhaps a little bit later, now, you're ready, you start doing it, and I'll help. And then hopefully, by the time we get to Matthew 28, Jesus is in a position to say, that's it, you do it. And I'll watch. 
So Jesus' disciples started out as observers, and after three years, they are thoroughly involved. No longer observers on the edge, but participants, centre stage. And in a sense, by the end of this um, gospel, we see their apprenticeship with Jesus is over. It's time for them to be sent out by Jesus into the big, wide world. Of course, they won't be alone. He will be there to continue helping, but in a new way, because they will be inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is commissioning them at this point to go out into the world to seek out new apprentices for him in the faith. And his instructions about how to do this are quite specific. Go, leave this place, and go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Baptizing and teaching. And it's a sobering thought that if those first 11 disciples and those who joined them in the early Christian church had not been faithful in their response to Jesus' instructions to go, baptize and teach, then you and I would not be sitting here today. That collaborative, cooperative mission initiated by God of going to all nations and making disciples has continued down the ages And it's an initiative that we too are called to engage in if we are to be faithful followers of Jesus. But for me, there's a bit of a problem with this passage because I wonder how easy it is for many of us to make sense of that instruction to go, baptize and teach in relation to our own front lines. We might just about see ourselves as being sent out by God into all the corners of his world, but we don't normally think of ourselves as being sent out to baptise and teach people. After all, don't you have to be specially trained and appointed to do things like baptising and teaching? Don't you need something like a dog collar? Well, we don't all have dog collars, thank goodness. But what could it mean for each of us to be involved in the process of baptising and teaching new disciples, as Jesus seems to suggest in this passage? So what I'd like us to try and do today is just reflect on what this might mean for us, this baptising and teaching. Is there something bigger than just the act that we are familiar with? We're accustomed to thinking about baptising as some sort of moment when water is used as part of a formal Christian ceremony to mark personal commitment to Christ and entry into membership of God's church. And that's an incredibly important moment. But underpinning that moment is something much broader. The Christian church understands the act of baptism as embracing a number of key elements – One of these is to do with being, who we are, something to do with establishing and affirming our identity. Baptism can be the name, the point where a child formally receives their name, as can dedication, as we've seen today. Their name is a key part of their human identity. It affirms them as a unique individual loved into being by a creator God. 
Beyond that, baptism has something to do with the process of becoming. It's the stage when an individual, whether as a child or as an adult, steps into a new spiritual identity as a beloved child of God through grace. Being and becoming. But we could also add the element of belonging. Baptism entails being introduced and given a corporate identity on joining the family of God or the community of saints. Being, becoming and belonging are all part of what it means to be baptised. So perhaps we can reflect on how in our own lives, in our front lines throughout the week, we might encourage those we meet and engage with and work alongside in these aspects of being, becoming and belonging. I wonder, when you find yourself engaged in a conversation with someone on your front line, do you ever have the opportunity to affirm that individual's sense of self-worth? To remind them how special they are. To let them know that they are a unique and precious human being, infinitely precious, in the eyes of the God who created them. And that God has a purpose for their life, as he does for every human life. Do you ever have that chance of affirming somebody in their human identity? In a world that so often judges our worth against false values and standards. As Christians, we often have the chance to counter that trend, to affirm someone's being and the potential for who they can become. Perhaps it could be a young person or a child lacking in confidence or self-esteem. Perhaps it could be an older person who is fearful that they are no longer useful to society and thus of little worth. Perhaps it could be your work colleague who's demoralised by how they've been treated at work or a friend at the school gates anxious about their self-worth and their skills as a parent. One of the strengths of the Shine course that's being run at the moment by Kath and a team is that it's offering an opportunity for individuals to have a sense of their true worth. In all these sorts of situations, Christians surely have good news to share about how God sees and values us, as human beings, how we should therefore value ourselves and others, and how God's love can change things for good. And if you and I do not engage in that process of giving value, affirming identity, then how will people move into a place where they are desirous of committing themselves to God and taking that step of baptism. 
So as well as touching upon being and becoming, baptism is also about belonging. And in so many cases, people experience and benefit from a sense of belonging long before they reach any point of decision about being baptised. And once again, we have a role to play in opening up that sense of belonging. Perhaps it's through sharing our own experience of what it means to us to be part of a local church or a Christian community. Perhaps it's through offering welcome or hospitality ourselves, maybe inviting someone into our home or into a group that we're a part of, or to the church that we attend, whether to a Sunday service or to another event. And at Campbell, one of the things we try to do is create lots of touching points into which people can be invited and welcomed and begin to gain a sense of belonging. The ones that are coming up shortly include things that have been mentioned already today, the barn dance on the 20th, the men's network going bowling together, the father and children's breakfast here next Saturday morning. In a world where loneliness and isolation are a growing problem, reaching epidemic proportions, as Christians we surely have good news to share that can enable people to experience a sense of welcome, hospitality and the beginning of belonging. And in time, who knows, this experience may well lead them on to making a personal commitment to Christ, which is reflected through baptism and becoming a committed member of God's family. Being, becoming, belonging. We all have a role to play in baptising and making new disciples. How do we interpret Jesus' words or command about teaching? We know that what we are taught has a direct effect on what we believe and how we behave. And we know from Jesus' own example that his teaching of the disciples through word and action helped to shape their believing and their behaving, drawing them constantly into relationship with him so that they would be more like him. And Jesus continues to encourage us as his disciples in our own time and place to share in this ministry of teaching and learning. That's all very well, you might say, but how can I be a teacher? I'm not qualified. It's not the sort of thing I'm good at. Once again, maybe the master-apprentice relationship will help us here. Look at me, says Jesus. Watch how I do it. Watch how I interact with people, sharing what I believe and behaving in particular ways that reflect my beliefs. Watch how I do it and then do likewise. Follow my example. So as we study how Jesus interacted with others in the gospel accounts, the words that he used and the actions that he performed, we can learn important lessons about how we can speak and act 
on our own front lines in ways that will positively influence the beliefs and behaviours of others for good. Helping them to grow in faith or to come to faith. And it's been great over the last few weeks as we've listened to several of our own church members sharing their own experiences of what they seek to say and do on their own front lines with love and graciousness. And we might have our own practical examples of how our Christian faith can make positive difference to those around us. Perhaps it's through the words of comfort that we bring to a work colleague who is bereaved or facing a time of trouble. Perhaps it's in just having time to sit with them and share a cup of coffee in the busyness of the working day. Perhaps it's in how we chair a meeting to ensure that everyone's voice is heard or how we negotiate a business deal with a firm eye on fairness and honesty. Perhaps it's in the way that we treat a student with challenging behaviour in a school or a college or a neighbour who gets on our nerves. Perhaps it's in the way we engage patiently with a difficult and demanding resident in a care home or a member of our own family facing terminal illness or living with dementia. Perhaps it's in the way we engage in conversations with our friends or neighbours when discussing the local schools or the surgery or the current refugee crisis. How we speak and how we act will be noticed. Will it look like Jesus? Perhaps it's in the way we are as parents or grandparents, sharing our beliefs and understanding of our faith with our children and our grandchildren or our godchildren. And if you would welcome support with that, then take advantage of the GROW opportunities on Friday or Saturday this week. But whatever the context, the question that I think Jesus asks us is, what will others see and hear when we speak and act? How far will our words and actions reflect those of Jesus? For what we model will be noticed by others, just as Tony has shared this morning in his context. So the more faithfully we can model the words and actions of Jesus, the more faithful we are as apprentices, the more Jesus will be seen in and through our lives. And the more likely it is that people will be attracted to him for themselves, will seek to be baptised and to grow. And for those of us who were present on Friday afternoon at Hope Harrison's funeral, for me that is perhaps the most moving example of how one person's, one Christian's life and death And the example of Christian family and friends has left a legacy in the lives of so many that will bear fruit. It has already borne fruit in Hope's life, but I think as we say farewell to Hope, it will continue to bear fruit in those who were there and listened 
or had experienced themselves directly. Hope's faith and the faith of his family and friends. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to communicate in that last teaching session with his disciples on the hillside in Galilee. And that's the challenge that Jesus leaves with us today. So let's pray. Father God, we know that disciples are made through your power at work in your people. We thank you that you call us to collaborate with you in your mission. We ask that you will help us to play our part faithfully on our front lines this week. That being and becoming, belonging, believing and behaving may be a reality for those that we encounter. And we thank you that you promise to be with us always unto the ends of the age, just as you did with those first disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.